0: Cliffcentral.com. Eh, Jumelamba Hesu. Ena kena I sipping tea? On tea? Lenguanino, i ratanga all over again Eh monana reabua, re ha home monwana o nieken. ha ho matrasi ore sa o sa ha stupu se re sa se politeng a ka nne di o di hao eh ka nne te ke taba o ge o nyolose o ya o dula o ogele tsa ati Hello, everybody. Uh, it's me, Timmy Meraki. And unfortunately, I'm sipping tea by myself, right? It looks so awkward. Uh, my mabale, uh, is working. Somewhere else Because that's how we roll Us freelancers I mean You really need to understand that When you're a freelancer You know You never know Where your next ticket's Gonna come from So you know I forgive her I've done it to her enough Um So Let's fly with me Your single pilot Without a co-pilot be I hope you're having A great week man Hey 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 I know a lot of people Have been very upset This week Um Government uh, talking about how they're planning on regulating social media, and and I found it very interesting how everybody freaked out. Like, you know, why are we in a panic, guys? It's it's government. I'll be very impressed if they can get past having the conversation about regulating social media. I don't, I I really don't worry <laughs> when, they say, when they say they're going to do something, you know, you can give it another two, three years before it happens, you know, or, or until somebody uh, signs it off and then give them another two, three years to get it right. And then give them another two, three years to then implement it and then argue about how they implement it and when it should be implemented and then what they're going to call it. So, I think let's not worry yet, you know, um and I also find it very interesting that as soon as uh you know the news comes out about um paid paid tweeting and uh all of that paid social media that now suddenly they want to regulate yeah. It, it, it's, it's interesting. It's like saying, oh shucks, you caught us, you caught us. Okay. Sorry, sorry, sorry. We won't do it again. We won't do it again. Uh but look, we are going to make sure nobody can do this thing. And let's, let's just, we are going to, yeah, we can see there's a lot of chicanery happening here in the social media. Uh we are going to handle it. Cuck, man. Cuck. And then this whole thing with fake news. Really? I feel like, Whatever conversation happened on the phone between Trump and Zuma, one of them was Trump saying, just tell them it's fake news. Whatever it is, if you cannot argue away out of it, just tell them simply it is fake news. Leave it at that. It'll keep them busy. Give them something, you know, use Photoshop and, and blame it on the people. And um, yeah, man, you know um so yeah i I don't understand why everybody's up in arms you know these guys can barely manage to pay people sasa grants i don't get it you've been paying grants for years for years and now you are telling us that you are you're in a tailspin because you are unable to can uh, figure out how to do this thing directly yourself i i don't know man I don't know. Today's one of those days where I'm just like, I, I'm going to pick my struggles. I'm going to pick the things I panic about. And some things are just not worth the effing panic. You know what I mean? And I don't even want to get started on the social grant conversation, man. I think social grants are such a, they, they lobotomize people. I find, I find the social grants lobotomize people because I'm not saying we shouldn't help people, but I don't know this thing of, of, Handing over things to people. Teach a man to fish. Don't just feed him. Teach a man to fish, eh? Teach a man to fish. Anyway, so what has been happening in your lives? What's been happening in my life, of course, is um, my Ghanaian family were celebrating 60 years of independence of Ghanaian independence. So it was really awesome. Um, you know, 60 years ago, Ghana uh, achieved its independence. Kwame Nkrumah. Um, led a, a free Ghana to a new, a whole new world. Hey. And, um, yeah. So it was a week of, of my favorite food of, of plantain and red, red and kenke and bangku and shito and all the other delicious stuff you can think of. Okro soup, you know, good times. So yeah, man, big up Ghana. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, and it's—I mean, when you when you look at that and you remember how Ghana is called the Gold Coast, and you 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 think that this would be one of um, Africa's richest uh, countries, you know, but then you look at how they, like a lot of African countries, are struggling, and you think, man, man. Since Kwame, what went wrong? Since Kwame, you know, what went wrong, man? What should the rest of us be taking uh, or learning from this, you know? And for me, one of the things I think is um, when I go to Ghana, I mean, uh, there's a lot of development happening there as well, um, to be honest. I think... um, was it oil that they found recently that's that's led to that? But anyway, but it's it's also you know, there's still development, there's still there's still forward movement. But I think what holds us back as Africans is we don't have a culture of um of maintenance. You know, we build things, we start things, but we don't maintain them. It's almost like an obsession with creating these beautiful things and then being very excited about them and that they work and that they look amazing. And then we finish being excited about them and then we move on. Um... And then we're surprised when they stop working, you know, you're surprised when you visit the place and you find out that they have 24 hours of a blackout and only 12 hours of lights. And, you know, those with money at least can afford ginormous generators and they're living on that. And you think, but if you look at how many of these plants they have, and the only thing wrong with the thing that's really wrong with them, really, is that they haven't been well-maintained and that's why they've packed up. And, and you're thinking, why don't we start now? If, We are in South Africa and we're looking at that and we go, hmm, let's see what we learn from this. We are in a country that um, was built to service a minority Uh, um, and the majority was just meant to make do with whatever sloppy seconds were left. And now we are trying to run the entire country and service everybody on the same structure that was not built to service everyone. You know what I mean? And you're thinking, uh, should we not then perhaps be considering the possibility of we maintain and improve, maintain and improve, maintain and improve. I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, man. So that's what's been on my mind this year, a young, a young political thing. And because, uh, it's Ghana's, uh, 60th anniversary, I was thinking, why not share some quotes from Kwame Nkrumah, uh, Nkrumah you know, um, as they call him, the, the, the father of Of um, Ghanaian e- emancipation, um and the interesting thing I found actually uh I remember when I think it was the first time I visited Ghana. Um, my husband and I had just gotten married there before, and we just had our first baby, and um, they are say to so they took me to the museum. The, um where you know you get to learn all about the Oseitutus, the royal family. And I found out how these guys were like seriously giving uh, England the middle finger. You know what I mean? Like the apparently the English wanted the golden seed. And now the golden seed is quite um uh it's 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 a very special thing in Ghana. It is it's, it's in fact it's um what's the word for it? It's it's um The English has escaped me. But the seat is special because the only people who sit on it are the people, are the kings. The king sits on it. You know what I mean? The person who has been... um, Ordained as as the king, as the only person who's allowed to sing or sit on it, and these guys are coming and saying, "Oh, what a pretty piece of African uh, craftsmanship!" <laughs> Let us take it back and uh, display it all to see. You know what I mean? And um, these guys were like, "No, screw you! We're not giving you this thing." And then they refused to their thing. And then I heard a whole story as well about their queen who was arrested and how the um, the, the people go and visit her, but like in droves. And, uh, because she was there, the, the people wouldn't break. The Ghanaian people would not break. And so what they did is they decided to then move her because she had been, um, in Ghana. They decided to take her off and put her in a prison away off on an island somewhere in order to psychologically break the people. And I thought that, that shit is powerful, man. How come we never get to learn about that kind of history, you know, when we're learning about places? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, I might be sounding weird today and I am. I am. It's because I had I had. So there's a surgery I told you guys about last week that I was going for dental surgery, right? So I went and did this thing and I, I completely completely underestimated what it would mean for me. So if I fall, if I sound like tunes, you sound like you're not actually clear what you want talk about today. Uh, It's probably because I'm not. Um, Because besides being in pain for the past few days and being uncomfortable, my my kid's sick. Anyway, so this is what I did. They removed a a tooth because they had to break my jaw to remove... Uh, one of the Muslim teeth that was giving me issues and then I had another two that had, a, that had like a freaking huge hole and then they had to medicate that and then fill that and then I had to have my teeth like chiseled so I'm getting crowns done right because my teeth are carved up like they really, they were really messed up especially like where well, you can't see them thank God at the back so anyway so I sound weird because I've got temporary crowns but I'm going to have proper ones pretty soon because it was either that or ending up one day wearing false teeth and I'm sorry I am not down with that Eh, I'm not about the losing of the teeth and then at night I must take off my teeth and can you imagine how much pressure I'd be under to always be giving blowjobs because you know if you don't have teeth can you imagine the potential of the mouth without teeth and then I must now that's going to be my life because can you imagine what husband is going to have a, husband, a wife without teeth and not take full advantage of that thing so me, I was like, no, I refuse to become a slave to this thing. I don't want false teeth. I want to keep my teeth. Anyway, so uh, back to what I was talking about, which is celebrating Ghana's uh, 60, uh, 60th um, Independence Day, which happened, to was it yesterday? On the 6th. When was the 6th? Yes, that was yesterday on the 6th. Um he says and this one I mean this is a common one that I think a lot of us have heard we've heard the common one which is I'm not African because I was born in Africa but because Africa was born in me. Now that's one I've heard a lot. Uh I think it's one of his most overquoted quotes. Uh but he has other quotes which I don't really I don't really hear a lot of which is interesting. Um, then there are some which I think don't get used a lot because then people are still trying to decipher he says it is far easier for the proverbial camel to pass through the needle's eye hump and all than for an erstwhile colonial administration to give sound and honest counsel of a political nature to its liberated territory It is far easier for the proverbial camel to pass through the needle's eye hump and all than for an erstwhile colonial administration to give sound and honest counsel of a political nature to its liberated territory. Interesting. So, doesn't that leave you going... Um, was he saying then that if you look at the the state of a lot of these uh american uh, american african nations that uh achieved their emancipation from colonialism that the reason they fell apart is because the very people that colonized them and you know, taken their freedom from them. When they took their freedom back, these people are like, ah, you took your freedom back. Fine. See what you do with it. And left as opposed to saying, okay, okay, okay. Take it back. Let's, let me help you. Uh Let's, let's stay and fix what we effed up and kind of, be, the, do a proper handover. Be there to make sure that when we leave you to run this thing yourselves, you can run it well. You know, because we have run your lives, we have run the infrastructure, we have run the, the, Uh, Even the currency itself, and this is how we're going to make sure you keep it alive. Instead, they go, oh, you want it back? Fine, take it. And then you don't know how to. You know what I mean? So for me, it's like that kid who takes my toy that I had to assemble, okay? And they take my toy from me, bully me out of it. Then they build it, assemble this thing themselves, figure out how it works, Okay, and by the time I get to it, it's already been put together. He doesn't know where he put the instructions of how the thing works. And then I say, give me back my frigging toy. And then he gives me back my toy, but he's not telling me how to use it. So now I'm sitting with this thing. I don't know what to do with it. And eventually I break it. And then he's going to go, yeah, yeah, you said you wanted back. Now look what you've done with it, which is a lot of times how I feel about South Africa, to be honest, because I do wonder to what degree did we just take this country back and not learn how to run it? I'm not saying we are, oh, we are in such, we don't know how to run our own country. No, but I am saying we have some problems that feel like there shouldn't still be problems. We have certain problems where I just have to ask Mara Kanti, did you just take back? Did you not ask? Wait, wait, wait. When's the, where's the on switch? Where's the off switch? Okay, okay. And then if it breaks, where's the troubleshooting guide? No, nobody gave us a troubleshooting guide. And I think it's an, it's an African illness, this thing. And that's why I think a lot of times when we hear a lot of leaders speak, even Ngugi Wationgo when he was here, uh, one of the, the things I understood him saying was talking about African solutions for African problems, that we need to start looking at ourselves and our ways of doing things to fix things. You know what I mean? And yeah, maybe it's because of that, man. Because uh, those we took back from uh, were not about showing you how, OK, now that it's back in your hands, this is how you must then to can uh, work with it. I'm not ignoring corruption. OK, and I refuse to then also go. Let's point a finger at corruption. I don't know a single country that was not built on corruption, not even the great United States of America, which is probably the dirtiest of them all. So don't even get started with me. Anyway, he uh Kwamen Kwame also said action without thought is empty, thought without action is blind. He was deep, this guy, and he was good looking. He was a good looking, smart ass black man. That that is just fucking awesome. Anyway, so that's him. Um I hope as I raise my children my half Ghanaian children that they will, uh, I will, I will actually, yeah, maybe I should put these quotes in their bedroom, say eh? just plaster them all over their bedroom and, and make them learn them and recite them out loud. Anyway. Yeah. So if you want to holler back at me, um, if you think anything I'm saying makes sense or doesn't make sense, or you want to hoy me your two cents, just uh WhatsApp on uh, 079748. 2090, that's 079 748 2090. back at me about what you think is going on. I mean, I'm having my own African struggles at home. I am honestly. Trying as a parent, okay? You want to talk about being proudly African. You want to talk about, you know, um, emancipate yourself from mental slavery, language, you know, um, because that's a big thing for us, hey? Our children should speak an African language. And for me, it is, it's a serious struggle. Like, I think as people, we also need to also sometimes be honest with ourselves. It is a freaking schlep for me right now to try and teach my children vernac. And not even call it vernac. I need to teach them their mother tongue because there's a difference between vernac and uh, mother tongue. Vernac would probably be even easier to teach them because the way I understand vernac, I understand vernac to be the uh, almost like the slang language or the local language, the localized, uh, you know, version of a language. Um but the struggle for me is what do you what do I do when I am a Motswana girl, okay? And yes, my Susutu is fluent. It was sexually transmitted. I dated a lot of um uh, guy, guys. Um and my husband is half Musutu, right? So I'm Motswana, my husband's Musutu, um and he is also Ghanaian. OK, so the languages my husband comes with are Chui and Susoto. I come with Suswana. We live in, uh, in terms of our family and our friends, we live in, in the United Colors of Benetton. OK, so English is the common language. All right. It is not the superior language. It is the common language. OK, we have a Zimbabwean nanny who speaks English and Shona. Alright. She does not speak Sesotho. The best she's going to be able to help with is Zulu when they are learning Zulu at school. Cause my, my, my firstborn is doing Zulu at school. And now I must still then teach them their home language and still get to work and still have a life. And guys, it's me, it's a schlep. Can I just confess? It's, it's laziness and I should prioritize it because I am proud of where I am. And I, I can imagine, you know, when they're older and they're going to be angry at me and saying, yeah, but mom, like, why can't you like, speak so You know what I mean? But I'm going, can't I send them for lessons? Can't I? Because they weren't speaking. Also, I'm not going to fucking beat myself over the head for them not speaking vernacular because I panicked. I was a first time parent. My first child wasn't speaking because we were so busy trying to teach him this this um mother tongue. Which, when I'm speaking Susutu, it starts creeping into Setswana because, come on, Setswana is, is the language that comes to me naturally, you know? And then we're surrounded by people who speak so many other languages, but we all speak English to each other, okay? But now we're trying to get this kid to... to. This is what the child was hearing. The child was hearing uh Susutu in the house, English in the house, and then... Um, Kosa, because his first name was Kosa, right? And he was taking forever to speak. So I just panicked. And when, when someone said to me, yeah, it's because there's so many languages, he'll eventually speak. It's just that there's so many of them, you know, he needs to settle in. And I was like, I'm not going to have a three-year-old who can't speak. And so immediately we we're like, let's stick to English. And I promise you, the minute we stuck to one language, this child immediately started speaking and, you know, catching on much quicker. The downside being that now, he doesn't speak um, Setswana or Sesotho, but he understands. Like when I instruct him in the language, he understands, you know, like this is the struggles that we have, guys. This is people don't understand, man. There's a whole new thing called black people problems that people don't understand. You know, um, it's, it's, it's a struggle. It's a struggle But I'm trying I'm doing my best I I want to make sure they They can speak in their mother tongue Because I'm sure It'll be fantastic for them Especially when they get to university When you meet other people Who are like you And who are not as privileged As you to have gone to Like private schools And you don't want them To now be labeling you Coconut and all that But I mean really If you're coming with foreign blood Surely you have good defense You're like yeah But technically I'm not a foreign I'm not a coconut I'm a foreigner And so my tongue Is a foreign tongue But... I am gonna do my level best. Uh I've actually started. My daughter now can sing um i That's been easier, I must say. I'm teaching them nursery rhymes that I learned when I was in school. And it's so much fun to hear them sing it. And it's actually funny, honestly, and I know I shouldn't laugh, but it is. It's funny to hear them when the when the when they when they're twanging the <laughs> Uh like I see. And then they get very excited about that part And then when they finish singing it You know, they didn't ask me until they were in it And actually able to sing it Only then did they go "Uh, What does that mean, mom? <laughs> so yeah then I I, I told them about the me the, the the ceiling of the mili mili um and the motivation actually the inspiration for me to share those um uh, poems with them came when I heard my 3-year-old singing wololo and I'm like, but nobody in the house speaks Zulu, yet here's this child singing, I'm like, okay, wait. So you people of, 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 of small size, you are unable to can be learning the language when we are speaking to you the language, but you are singing the language which doesn't even live in your house just because you're hearing it on the radio. So I have decided that that is what I'm going to try and do. I'm going to record a lot of these things and I'm going to try and get them to sing them because my children love books, guys. I And I can never say this enough. If you're a parent and you have small children and especially a parent of color, because this is something that is not common with our people. If you can start a small library for your children, it's going to make such a huge difference difference and if you can just start reading to your children it's going to make such a huge difference you know because going back to this thing again about Ghana and the celebration of their independence you know one of the things I really revere about Ghana is the way the people in Ghana love education most of the people you'll meet no matter how poor have received an education and for me Uh, uh, And the uh, the way you can tell as well is the way they're well read. You'll find that they have books. You'll find a tattered book lying somewhere, you know, or you'll find one reading a, a newspaper or they're only stuck in their Bible, but they can read. And for me, that is a huge thing. That's how you begin to travel the world without ever leaving your house. Even that's how you start to open the mind. If you just can just get your children to love books and if you can read to your children even better, you know what I mean? Cause, it's such, it's such a great bonding moment, you know? And, um, I actually heard it said once that, uh, they did a study and they found that the, the, the most successful Harvard students, what they all had in common was that their parents used to read to them when they were kids. Imagine! You would think the thing they had in common was that they had the highest IQs or, you know, they, they, they studied uh, 16 hours. No! It is a simple thing of when they were younger, their parents read to them. So if, if you're hearing me, man, and you got nieces and you got nephews or you got kids, I'm going to strongly encourage, read to your kids, bruh. Encourage your kids to read. And you're going to be like, yeah, but Teams didn't be like that all holy. Cause you know, the kids are on the devices all the time. Then download Kindle, bruh. Download audio books, bruh. Download, download books that they can read. Um, actually, forget the audiobooks because the, uh, audiobooks are a whole other thing for me. Don't go to audiobooks. Download books on your, on your phones for your kids. Get them to be reading on the thing. Even on the thing is even more exciting because it can even guide them. It can read with them. You know, the pictures can be interactive. I just feel like as long as a child is reading, we're making a huge difference. You know, we live in a country where we're paying so much money for education, guys. Even if I could tell you how much I'm paying. To put my kids through school. Simply because I have no faith in, in, in the education system. That I'm like, I'd rather pay for a school where I know there are fewer kids in the class. So that they can, my, I know my kids are focused on and so that in foundation phase, I can be on top of what they're doing. You know, that's the, that's the main reason. It wasn't even about, oh, I think that in private school, they'll get a better quality of education. My children started off in a government school, actually, uh, an excellent government school. And so for me, it wasn't about the level of education. My issue was the numbers. And that's the only reason literally that I moved my kid because I was like, there are way too many kids in this class. And this, for me, foundation phase, for me, is the most important time in a child's life. What's happening in high school is determined by what happens in foundation phase. If they don't pick up issues with your child in foundation phase and only discover them in high school, your child is screwed. From simple things like a pencil grip to concentration to his muscle de- muscle tone development to, you know, um, everything, everything. You know, is he slow? You know, does he have a reading issue? Simple things like that. And I'm like, if, if, if a teacher has to discipline 40 children before she can even get down to teaching them, when is she going to figure out that one of them is holding the pencil wrong? When is she going to figure out that, that one of them gets tired very quickly and not because they're lazy or they have problems at home, but they, their muscles aren't developed, you know, um, that child might need OT, that child might need extra support. You know what I mean? So I just feel like, yeah, man, if you start with the little things that you can control, because we're all busy. I'm not even pretending I'm not busy. I don't, man, it's a miracle when I'm home long enough to have a meal with my kids and tuck them into bed. You know what I mean? But I make that time count. You know, that's not the time that I'm going to say, oh, let me bond with them by watching TV with them. Because then we're all switched off and we're inside a box. We're not actually together. You know what I mean? Um, it's a huge thing for me, man. It's a huge thing for me because we need to change things. You know, every time I hear people bitch and moan about this country, it always comes down to people and what people are doing and how people behave and people's mindsets. And it wasn't that Einstein who said, if you do things the same way and expect different results, you're mad. So let's change certain things. Let's change the fact that we know that a lot of us previously disadvantaged people were not made fans of books. Let's change that. Let's, let's make children excited to unwrap a book when they get a gift set. You know, when it's Christmas or it's their birthday, you know, let, let a book be one of the exciting things that they get. Um, make, you know, make, rather, rather be shouting at your child because they're not sleeping because they've got a torch and they're reading a book. Under the covers, you know, I would rather be saying, yeah, I need you to be sleeping earlier than this. Get off that book than to be trying to fight this child to get off that TV that they zone out in front of. I don't know. It's a tough thing. I don't think anyone gets it right. I don't think anybody's perfect, but we just need to take power back into our hands, you know. Um. This, this, this anniversary thing, man, this 60th anniversary of Ghana thing, it just got me thinking about a lot of things because, you know, we need to be able to celebrate things with pride. When you look at that celebration and you look at what a lot of the Ghanaian people had to say about it, I mean, there were people who were genuinely just in jubilation. Then there were people who were saying, well, let's look at our country, our country critically and say, what is worth celebrating? What has happened to the legacy of Kwame Nkrumah? You know, have we continued to build on top of what he started or have we allowed it to disintegrate because we didn't buy into it? You know, how do we bring back that fervor? How do we put back that chutzpah into people um, about their country and about building their country? Screw corruption and, and politicians. Those people will always be there and they'll always do that. We need to find a way where people say this is how we take power back into our hands and this is how we make shit happen for ourselves. I mean, when I look at our own country, when I look at our own South Africa, you know, for example, I look at how... When xenophobic attacks happen and you see these people burning down foreign people's tuck shops and and looting foreign people's tuck shops. And I'm thinking, you know, shame on you, actually, because you were born on this soil. You lived in that hood for how long? And this guy arrived, managed to get his ass up enough to build a shop, start a business And actually do it well. And now you're destroying it because you are saying he's taking away from you. When in fact you are taking away from yourself because you refuse to get up and do something. You're waiting for government to do something for you. Government that can barely do anything for itself. You want to now come and cry that they're not doing things for you. And then you want to come and blame it on the foreigners. Because it is easy to, to to blame the little guy, isn't it? It's easier to blame something that's closer to you other than yourself. Rather Blame that person, then point the mirror at yourself. You know what I mean? And I feel like as a country, we just need to get to that point now where we just start to go, guys, okay, can we just let's let's just have a post-mortem of this country over the past 20 years or so. What has worked and what hasn't worked? Whatever's working, who can we get to maintain that? Okay, can we maintain this? Can we agree that this is working and you can keep getting it right? Can we make noise about it that you're getting it right so that you know we acknowledge that you're getting it right? Let's look at everything that's that that's going wrong. Now, are we going to say all of this is going wrong and we're going to bitch and moan to the government until it exhausts us and have 10 million marches that don't change anything? Or are we going to actually have useful forums where we have people who have the resources come together with people without resources and say, okay, this is how we try and sort out this thing. We're a small community that say, realize we don't have a shop and we don't have a clinic. We are going to build this. There's this guy. He studied. He's an, he's an unemployed doctor. Um, let's start with his back room. Hmm? Let's speak to government, find out are we allowed to do this thing? Starting small, just to find out little things, to find different ways of doing things. Is that is that possible? Is that not a thing? I just I don't know. I feel like something needs to shift in the way we think, even if it sounds like the dumbest effing idea, something that is different to going Mara government, isn't it? No, government, isn't it? Nothing. They've shown you already. Okay. Okay that if it matters to them, they'll move with it. If they're not scared enough of you, they're just gonna leave you. You're gonna have protests and bend down things. You know what's gonna happen? You still need to come back and clean up that thing. And that library you burnt down, your kids, next thing, next week, you're doing because the children don't have books. Completely forgetting that you are the ones who burnt those books last week when you burnt down the, 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 the library. Then you're gonna be bitching and moaning about how, oh, you know, just to buy our children bread for school. I must catch a taxi all the way to, yeah, but didn't you just burn down Sadiq's tuck shop right next door because he was a foreigner and yet it was legal. He himself is not an illegal immigrant. He's actually legal and is contributing to the economy of the company and the, of the country, I mean. And he... You know he was being supplied by a local a local supplier. So you've lost that local supplier uh, 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 money. You have taken food out of his mouth because now he's lost one client. I mean, I feel like people act without thinking, and especially us, the ones with the data, the ones who live in social media, the ones who are very quick to jump and fight when government says they want to regulate social media. I blame us because we talk to each other all the time. We make topics trend. All the time, but I want to know when are we going to stop being satisfied with stuff just trending on social media and actually happening in real life? When are we going to let real life trend? When is our when are our lives going to trend? Hey, when can we actually hashtag things are really happening? Hey, because I'm tired of all that BS of making noise on social media. It's easy to be eloquent in 140 ca- uh, characters. It's easy to retweet and retweet and quote and retweet and get more followers and just trend. You know, ooh, everybody knows my name because look, I'm trending number top one in Johannesburg and I'm number 10 in South Africa. What happens then when you log off? When you log off and and there's no water. When you log off and there's bloodshed right outside your doorstep. When you log off and there's a girl being raped right next door in that house there, but you were hashtag trending. Remember her, remember him. One in 10, one in nine. But what are you doing practically? Because I'm over that shit. I actually realized I've spent a lot less time on social media now. And I have realized because it is actually an empty space. If you want to make change and you want to effect change, mean it. Don't do it to look cool. Because you know, because I'm in the social space, I think that's part of the reason why now, when they started again, people putting banners of no to xenophobia and putting their little quotes and changing their profile pictures, I was like, yes, they are going to have it like that for now while it's trending, and they will use the hashtag while it's trending because then their name is up there in the business, and then you know, if you check their social media activity, they look popular. Maybe sponsors will like them because they look like they attract a lot of traffic, and then as as soon as it stops being talk- spoken about in the media, and as soon as it stops trending, they jump into the next trending topic, and they don't care what's happening. They don't care if, are, are, are the foreigners still being killed just because they're foreigners? They don't care. Has anything been done? Has anyone been brought to justice? They don't care. Have the rates that's gone down? They don't give a shit. They don't. Why? It's not trending anymore. When are we going to make trends matter? When are these trends going to set something alight? For real? Hmm? All these woke people on 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 social media, eh when is your bad grammar going to show me something real in real life huh i don't know i'm just i'm asking i'm asking I'm just asking isn't it to ask and ask say to ask you a question is not to give you a nosebleed it is to ask a question, you know. So I feel like, I don't know, man, I am I'm, I'm, I love social media. It's a great day to connect with people. I love being there. When I need votes for stuff I'm doing, like now with the safters, I go there. Please vote for me. This is me. Yay. But I'm not going to go up there and pretend to be a heroine of social justice when I know it's going to end on social media. But if I know I can at least get my hands dead to get in the hands and feet and all, then I'm in. Otherwise, don't involve me. You know, we 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 I remember as a family when the xenophobic attacks uh, uh, broke out, we were like, okay, we were finding out where the different um, refugee uh, spots were, where, you know, because some places were haphazard. There were people who were housing people. There were churches that were housing people. And all we could do is literally supply what we can in terms of food, in terms of clothes, in terms of support, prayers, whatever, because I was like, I'm not seeing what these hashtags are doing. And then people talk about fake news. And I'm like, are we going to be following this bullshit trend? Because now it means easily you can be putting up pictures of what's happening around you. And all we need is someone to go. It's fake. It's Photoshop. It's fake news for people to go. Ah, that's all it is. And move on. When are we going to make social media make a real difference? I just want to know. Because I got my little kids and I'm going to raise these people and they're going to be in that world. They're going to be in that world where they just click like and the rhino is safe. Apparently. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. That's, man. Do I I sound weird? I feel weird when I speak because these teeth feel so weird, guys. You don't understand. Oh, my God. I really, I'm I'm going to the dentist after this show because then they're going to take these out and put in the permanent ones. I just hope I still look cute because these teeth look, I look weird with my temporary teeth. So I've been pouting in every single picture. It's been a while since I've actually smiled in a picture. Because if I smile, I look like... You know those pictures of dogs when they're baring their teeth? But the ones with the little teeth, and then it looks like a funny smile. That's how I think I look. And I'm like, uh, I'm going to be vain just this once and not show my teeth. Anyway, Um, yeah, man. So I've been... Yeah, what has been on my mind really. I don't have a lot on my mind. It's just been the independence, it's been our country. It's been how how we how we influence people because even if you don't have your own children, I think we all know someone with children or we're related to people with children. And a lot of us also have nieces and nephews who adore us. And there's a lot of things that come up that that we influence, you know. For example, uh there's this dude who he's uh, who's who's homosexual, right? And he, um, his nephew has not been exposed to a lot of gay people because, well, that's not, that's not, I suppose his parents don't really have gay friends, I guess, or gay family that comes over, over, or openly gay, you know, whatever. So this child lives in a very heteronormative society, very heterosexual, very, you know, standard mom, dad, and that's the life he lives. And then he has this... um, I suppose slightly feminine. I don't know if he's really I could call him feminine, but he's he's gay. And when they apparently they were watching a TV show and this child pointed out the person on TV um and said, Oh, this person reminds me of Uncle So and so. And the the family are like, Oh, we need to talk to this child. Now this is a five-year-old. And they're all freaking out, they're like, Oh, What do we do now? How do we address this? How do we what do we what do we this child is not panicking? What what confused me about this the, the the relation of these events is why are you panicking? Because that child isn't panicking. The child is saying that person reminds me of this person and they've moved on. Now you are sitting by yourself, like, oh my gosh, gay god on the child. What do we do now? How do we explain it to the child? Ah, and I think people need to check themselves because I think a lot of us like to think we are liberal. A lot of us like to think we're tolerant. And then we are in those situations where our real reactions and responses say a lot actually about us and our opinions. We don't realize it until we're in there. I mean, I have a friend who when she came out um, as a lesbian to her family, her father's response was ah you know this thing is like aids you are either infected or affected and if if my dad had said that to me i mean i would have i would have freaked out thank god she knows her dad and she knows that she knows how his mind works and she was able to take it in context and be cool with it but for me i'm like oh, this man just likened my lifestyle And who I am to an illness. You know what I mean? Yet, in the context of what he was saying, you get that thing of, yeah, you think these things are out there, but then what you realize is you're either a part of them or they're happening in your environment. You know what I mean? Anyway, so it just got me thinking, like, what happens then? Because... It, it took me back to the, to the fight I had with my, with, uh, one, with my in-laws, with, um, an aunt of mine on my, on my husband's side, who also, you know, was speaking out in support of Trump because she found out that Trump abolished abortion. She found out that he was ending, he, he was going to make uh, gay marriage illegal again and that, um, yeah, that, what else? Yeah, but she was very happy. The big thing for her was that gay marriage will stop and that abortion will stop and that he'll stop also funding, um, contraception. Right? Um, and I thought, okay, you are celebrating this and you are even talking about how this man will find God's favor. And I'm thinking this is some scary shit because I think about the mom I am and the children I'm raising and the open mindedness that my children have. And the fact that I have lesbian and gay friends with children who are part of our family and part of our our, our, our circle of friends. And now my children must then also be faced with these people who are going to say these kinds of things. What must then can happen? You understand? Because it goes back to that thing of our children. When we start talking about what are you exposing them to? When you say the word expose, what do you mean? Are you talking expose in a negative sense of someone's been exposed to an illness or expose as in make sure your child lives um with their eyes wide open to see that their world and their lives come in different flavors? You know what I mean? And it all ties in all this talk of freedom, where we are as a country, all of this. It might sound to you like my mind is all over the place, but if you think about it, it comes down again to one thing: it's about a mentality it's about what 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 mentality are we raising our children in, what kind of mentality are we living with because that that influences the kind of society we live in. You know what I mean I mean, uh, you know. Because I remember with with my son, it was easy because the first time I realized that I consciously have to make sure my child lives in a world that's real, where he gets to see that... Um, Um, our household will never be exactly the same as the next household was when we were talking about his friend who is a black kid adopted by white parents, you know, and his friend was being bullied a lot and it upset him and he needed to understand why this kid must be given such a hard time just because his parents aren't black, you know. And then it goes back to the gay thing as well, where now with my son, I remember the first time I had to explain the mummy and the mummy Was when he was around six And you know then You explain things to a child Like they're a child That by the time they're eight And they're philosophizing All of these other things Have already fallen into place And they make sense And they're not worried about them you know what I mean? I mean, I was so proud of him. We were planning um his birthday party, and one of the kids he invited was this disabled kid who's in the school. Because I've 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 seen that. What I love about Bonsu School is there are also disabled kids there. So again, children are living in an environment that's real, where not only do you have different colors, different cultures, different religions, but you also have differently abled people, so that you are not narrow-minded and freaked out when you have to come into a space where something is different from you you see so i i i was so proud of him because i was like this kid isn't going hey this child is different and now i'm gonna invite him to my birthday and it's gonna be awkward to him he was like this kid's a cool kid you know and i want him at my party you know and stuff like that excites me Because also when I look at his party and who's who's there, because, you know, when you when you throw a kid's party, you look at the people you've invited from your side and then you look at the people who are there because you had to invite them because they're your children's people. And I was so happy to see how hard it was. It was to tell who were my guests and who were his guests. Because what it told me is I am moving with the new generation. Whatever the new generation is going to be will not be too big a shock for me because I am actually moving fluidly with it. Because my child had, I mean, geez, my, it looked, it looked like a, like a UN meeting, that party. I loved it. You had Asia, you had Africa, you had India, you had, you know, you had all kinds, you had all sorts, your choice assorted, different parts of Africa, everybody was there. And like 60% of these people are our friends. These are people who are part of our everyday lives. And then 40% of them are being brought in by my kid. And I'm thinking that's the thing right there. That's South Africa. If somebody wants me to give them a picture of what I think South Africa is, that's what South Africa is. Because once we've got that and we go, right, we're a common folk. This is the thing we have in common, our common love for this place that is South Africa. Moving forward, it starts to get easier and easier. Because right now we're cock blocking ourselves with race. The race the race thing is still a cock blocker, a serious cock blocker of progress. I will not lie. Because even when it comes to freedom, you don't even want me to go there. When Ghana is celebrating their 60 years and we are celebrating our 20-something years of our own freedom, there are certain things I'm still going, hmm. Because I, I kid you not, my people of the soil, I promise you, there are people not of the soil, the people who you say you took the country from who are looking at the country right now, who are economically even more sound now than they were during apartheid. And they're going, oh, is this what you wanted when you wanted freedom? This is what you, if, this, if we knew this is what you wanted, we could have given you long ago. I'm telling you, that is what these people are doing. The people who are benefiting from apartheid and enjoying it and are seriously going, how? If we had known that we still get to hold on to our money, but this time we can even sit back and let these guys break their backs and we still eat the money, you should have told us we would have let them have the fat of the land a long ago. Because you know why? They still hold the fat of the land. They still hold the majority of the wealth. They still hold the majority of the gold. We are still breaking our backs in the fields. We are still begging for a five pence. We are still the ones who are uh, 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 king, who are getting the sloppy seconds. There's a very small minority of people of the soil who can say, yeah, they are truly eating of the fat of the land. Not even dirty politicians can claim to be eating on the level of these guys. Okay? And these people are just sitting there going, my goodness, we were fighting you like this, thinking we give it back to you, we lose out. If only we had known it meant we get to sit back and eat with even less for us to do. It is a sad state of affairs. And the day we all wake up and face this is the day we can start making some progress, shame. And you can hate me for saying what I say, but it's the truth. The truth is never nice, shame, but you must face it. Hmm? So let's continue and fight each other and slow the country down for no fucking reason. Sure, go for it. See how far it gets you or move forward. Integrate. Be friends with technology. Learn about the the countries around you and the world around you. Don't just be ignorant and focus on you and where you are right now. And try and be a better person. That's all. I think if everyone one by one individually decided tomorrow and I wake up a better person. It's going to just have a domino effect and be like a Mexican, a Mexican wave of the, the birth of a whole new nation, then all of this shit doesn't need to be happening. I don't know if I made sense today or not, but I spoke from the heart. Hey? My mouth hurts like hell. I'm now off to the dentist, but um yeah, man, happy anniversary month, uh, Ghana, my South Africa, the struggle is still, still strong for all of us. And, um, yeah, Mabale and I usually hug a man at the end of this thing. Um, And I, I don't know. I'd say hug every man, man. Hug any man. Hug any man who's about forward thinking, forward moving, empowerment, and protection. Protection of those who can't protect themselves. And right now, those who can't protect themselves are the foreigners, are the women of this country, and are the children of this country. So... Yeah man. My name is Tubimaraike. I hope I didn't depress you. Uh we've been sipping some seriously bitter tea. Shop. Cliffcentral.com